Welcome, everyone, to the AI and Business Podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest is Michael Tamby. At the time of our recording, Michael was serving as head of Scaled Insight Science for Amazon Advertising. He has since moved on to a new position as head of data and analytics at Gong. Throughout his career, Mike has led data science efforts in sales and marketing at leading edge companies like Amazon Ads and LinkedIn. Through these experiences, he's become an advocate of enterprises building a, quote, data-driven go-to-market engine, unquote. Mike returns to the platform to talk about why companies pushing AI capabilities at the edge are finding prescriptive analytics doesn't work well in sales and how generative AI can provide solutions to the problem. Later, he advises retail and e-commerce leaders on the investments that they should make in their infrastructure to enable these new generative AI use cases and what the e-commerce space might look like once these capabilities are more commonplace throughout the industry. A quick note that the views Mike expresses on today's show are his and his alone. And now, without further ado, here's our conversation. Michael, thanks so much for joining us on the program once again. Great to be back. So we left off our last episode just before getting into the potentials of generative AI. I didn't want to try to cram that in five minutes. Uh, you said leading edge companies are finding prescriptive analytics don't work as well in sales, but that generative AI might solve this problem. Can we expand on that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, let me just take a step back. because I think to really sure. understand this, you have to kind of have a clear picture painted of, of where we're at, where we're going, and where this challenge could look. So, you know, let's suppose you say, hey, look, I want to build a data-driven go-to-market engine. I want my sales, my marketing, all my end products calm. I want it to work in harmony like a beautiful orchestra. So we're delivering the right message to the right customer at the right time. It's all automated. It's all continuously improving. Um, you say, okay, the, the biggest boulder I've got to go tackle in that is sales because, you know, all the scale channels like marketing and product, it's easy to just kind of like plug them into something. But sales, you know, humans are a little bit more challenging. You got to figure out how to get them in the program. So you build a tool. You say, okay, I want to understand what they're doing, what, what they're talking about with each customer at each point of time. Um, and I want the ability to kind of influence that moving forward, right? It's not enough to just record their calls and, and hear things. So don't get me wrong. There's products out in the market to do that. That's great. But you also want to be able to influence what they're going to go do ahead of time proactively. So you build the tool, you kind of realize, okay, well, they they use insights. We provide a bunch of dashboards, they use insights. So I'm going to build a tool that they can just say, I'm going to talk to this customer at this time, and I'm going to talk about this, and it can give you the available insights and recommend some things. And so they, they use this tool based on kind of what they do, how they do it, you can build your recommendation. So they first use it to just kind of dump data, get their presentations in and have their meetings. You then get enough data underneath that you can start predicting things. You could say, hey, this customer might churn. You know, have you thought about talking to this customer? In the annual plan, you said you'd check in quarterly. You haven't checked in quarterly. You know, you haven't talked on this topic or accounts like this want that, right? So you start recommending things and, and your recommendations get better. And, and then you get to the point where you want to be prescriptive. You say, okay, I know exactly when I need my sales rep to talk to which customer, which topics, I know. So I'm just going to go tell them they have to do it. I'm going to be very specific. Hey, you have a task. I mean, they just give you your task list. Um, and you find that, you know, about half of them follow it and half of them don't, right? right? They're going, well, hang on. Like, 
do we need to enforce this really strictly? Like, do we need to really press that you need to have these conversations? You need to talk about this. Um, and so you kind of you dive in and you say, okay, what are they doing? And you have this kind of 50-50. Well, sometimes uh, it's just salespeople being stubborn. You ask them, why don't you follow the recommendations? Go, that's just not the way I've done it. I had a manager 10 years ago who taught me the way to do it. And this is the way I do it, right? Right. There's some of that where it's like, yes, you should just, like the data knows better than you. But there's an other half where they know better than the data, right? And they go, you know, well, why did you have this conversation? Well, they asked me, why did you include this insight? Well, they said, well, three months ago, you showed me this insight. And so we wanted to have a follow-up about it. And there's an interesting realization. And I think this is the central thesis of why prescriptive analytics doesn't work in sales, is that the seller, the salesperson does not set the agenda 100% of the time. Right. So the idea of prescriptive is... I'm going to talk to a customer and here's the agenda, right? It's not like, you know, some manual task where it's like, okay, I need to ship this package. It goes in this box. I do it this way and I control the process completely. The customer controls the process in many ways. The customer has their own information. And so mm-hmm. I think about this, the one, one phrase I've, I've developed here is this concept of second party data. Mm-hmm. In the data space, we think about first-party data. It's all the stuff we collect uh, in our product or, or anything like that. There's third-party data. You go off and buy some data. But there's what I call second-party data. There's data information that your customer knows and conveys to your salespeople in conversations that you don't always collect right. And so it's not a clear cut. You can always say what exactly is the right thing. Because there's always a level of context and data collection that's missing. And some people will say, well, we just collect it better and you feed into the system. But I don't think you can ever get there. And so if you sort of rephrase this with generative AI, the ability to kind of move from prescriptive to conversational, and that's kind of the new way to think about it, which is... right. You know, it's kind of, it can be, you know, you're talking, let's say, instead of this tool, instead of just drop downs and all this, it's imagine it's a chat bot, imagine it's more conversational. And you say, okay, I want to have this conversation here. All right, here's here's what we recommend. Here's the list of slides. Go for it. And they go, no, no, no. Then the sales rep can kind of go, no, no, no. The customer wants to talk about this. The customer told me this. So that real-time information, that second-party data can be reflected in that process of developing the recommendation so that your prescriptive can be customized and tweaked to the exact needs of the customer at that point. And that's where I see there's potential because if you just try to force the process in a linear way, you really run the risk of not doing what's right for the customer, not listening to the customer. Absolutely. I think anybody who has worked in any sales capacity heard your answer. And that's just a an unspoken conversation in sales teams, right? That, you know, the assumption is what what the what the sales company wants their salespeople to do is to control the timeline, control the pace. The salesperson does that as best they can. But ultimately, you know, yeah. if the customer says, Oh, I can't do this till September, then it doesn't matter how much, you know, timeline runway that the salesperson is laying down. And even in the course of, you know, uh, moving these systems from descriptive to prescriptive uh, and then conversational, I see where generative AI is in the conversation, especially, heck, it's in the name. And we, we know all of the conversational AI capabilities out there. Though, in how you were describing the description, descriptive systems, it still sounds like there's like almost a Gmail boomerang functionality to, 
you know, the system checking in on you. Hey, have you done this? Hey, have you done this? Hey, does this person need a nudge? Is generative AI entering the picture there beforehand? Where, where does it enter the system as you're building it in from descriptive, prescriptive, and then conversational? So I think I think with generative AI, there's a number of different questions you have to answer, right? And um, I think as you know, just kind of, I'll, I'll I, I will get back to your, your question, but I'm going to answer sure. a question first, which is, you know, I, I hear a lot of companies talk about how they're going to, you know, do an experiment with with generative AI and say, okay, what's that experiment? They go, okay, well, we we had three engineers, we gave them some data, and they plugged it into uh, like ChatGPT, and they said, what happens? That's not really an experiment. The experiment is you have a hypothesis, and you have to go to there. So to your question, like where exactly in the process? How exactly you plug it in? How much? Uh, how much you rely on predictive versus generative AI? All that's still TBD. I'll tell you the way that I'm thinking about it, and I think that it's ultimately each company has to approach it based on their own, just their business, the specifics of their business. Right. So you say, okay, let's assume that there's some sort of workflow that sales have, where on a daily or weekly basis, there's a list of recommended activities for them to go do. Right. Let's say specific right. accounts to go talk to some signal with some explanation of why. Like you should talk to this company about this product because we see something weird in their KPI. Or you should talk to them because companies like about adopting this new product because a bunch of their competitors just started adopting this product and they might be more responsive to the message. Right. So there's going to be some sort of workflow tool where, uh, and at least in the way I'm visualizing it right now, but again, the thing about generative AI is that we might not be reimagining it enough, right? We might be right in our own views that there's going to be at least some way you kind of go, okay, here's kind of the, the basic things. Then when I want to engage in it, instead of it being kind of a punch list of like, download this PowerPoint, present it here, talk about these three things, a lot of that stuff can become more adaptive, which is to say, uh, okay, you know, on that one, I might like, like open up the chat, say, this is interesting. Um, can you show me a little bit about what the story looks like? Okay, here's a story. This is cool, but they wanted to understand a little bit more about audiences this way. They mentioned that they have a new product. So you can imagine that, to, to my mind, and this is, this is a mental model that I'm working on, which is start small, crawl, walk, run, and take the part of the process where the data hits the workflow and sort of put generative AI in there to provide some sort of flexibility, like kind of last mile customization. Yeah, where you're talking about it as, you know, in just getting started in generative AI, it's better to have it at the end, essentially. I mean, essentially, right? So like, for example, the, the generative AI experiment that we're talking about, and again, I don't have answers yet. I have a lot of questions. I have a lot of this. Sure. I can at least tell you the questions that I'm asking and the experiments I'm setting. Yeah. So I think a lot of companies are kind of playing the game of, okay, let's try to figure out how to plug data into our generative AI systems, right? And so, for example, the sales use case is we alert a sales rep when a certain KPI goes down month over month or week over week. We say, hey, look, something happened to this account. You should know about it. And by the way, here's some here's some advice that other sales reps have used, some pre pre-populated PowerPoint decks that have been that other sales reps have found useful when talking to customers. And for retail, that's really important because I feel like a lot of 
B2B companies tend to be focused on the acquisition of the new customer, particularly like SaaS. It's like, right. okay, acquire the customers. And then, you know, the, the, the problem of, okay, well, they have an annual subscription. So there's a bunch of stuff that we do. And then they either renew or they don't, or they grow or they don't. And so it's really hard to know exactly what, what you do in the year and how it affects. Um, whereas with retail, I think that that's where the hotbed of innovation is, right? So with retail, the customers are people selling on our platform. Um, the data they're engaging, the data is coming in weekly. You do something, it changes. So the the concept of optimizing the existing customer relationship is, in some sense, an easier problem in retail. And so I think that they're going to invest. I'm seeing they're investing more and more in these tools, and so they're going to kind of lead. And then B2B companies, say SaaS companies, can kind of look to that to figure out. And I know, especially talking to folks from Amazon where you guys are on the cutting edge, it is harder to tell what this is going to mean for you know brick and mortar retail, for the legacy retail uh, firms out there. Just in terms of you know knowing the technical stacks that they're working with, what should that mean for investments in infrastructure? How do we prepare to establish these systems and build these systems in from an infrastructure standpoint? Yeah, I mean, I think the first guideline has to be don't lock yourself into any architecture, right? Yeah. And, you know, I think it was like Andreessen Horowitz came up with their first view of what the generative AI stack looked like, like two weeks ago, right? That view is going to change. Um, I think there are a couple of pretty safe bets. And it's like, how do I plug my data into a generative AI system? And I, a lot of the energy that I'm thinking about right now um, is at what layer of the data stack do you do it? And so when I think about it this way, right? So you have like the raw data. So this is your raw CRM data, your raw marketing data, your raw product usage data, right? And on top of that, you probably have some analysts who've built metrics. They say, okay, well, this is what win rate looks like. This is what pipeline is. And then you might have some, some people maybe in marketing, maybe they're analytics, maybe they're whoever's built insights. They say, okay, if this metric is going up and that metric is going down at the same time, that's bad. Right. So it's like a combination of metrics with some context. And then eventually the salesperson, you know, takes these metrics, creates insights, creates a bunch of insights and creates a narrative. And so you'd say, okay, where, where in that level do you want to plug generative AI? Do you want to be maximalist and say, I'm just going to plug it in the raw data and then all of that analyst work is neat is not needed. Like the entire marketing team and this team is that, not that. And you know, I can just bypass that because it'll come up with things that they didn't think about. It could. It could also hallucinate. <laughs> um, right, right, as we've seen. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're approaching it right now is we're just trying to plug in at various stages of the stack and see what happens. My hypothesis is that you plug in at the very last stage and you have a couple of very specific kind of easy tasks for generative AI to do. Like you can think about conversational search. And I know that you don't necessarily need generative AI to do conversational search, but most enterprises don't have conversational search on their data. So it's a good way to right. kind of say, hey, <laughs> I, it did something. Um in addition to also saying like summarization, so if I know, and I think this is going to be the key use case for, for AI, okay, there's 17 insights about this account, right? And in, in retail, by the way, it's even more complex because you have certain, like one account might have six or seven brands and that brand might play in 10 different aisles. So you can have like 70 different spaces where they play with 50 metrics each. So the complexity, the compounding of that can get even more. And so what what we're experimenting with is what happens if you throw those into generative AI and you say, give me a summary of what's happening. So this brand 
in this aisle, let's say, throw 17 metrics in there with their insights and context and summarize it for me. Mm-hmm. You know, read from these predictive signals, because right now kind of traditional ML in terms of predictive analytics is better, kind of rank them based on these signals and compile it for me in a human digestible way. That I think is is where we're going to go, at least as a crawl, walk, run. And my theory is that if it can if it can effectively summarize off the top layer of search and summarization from the top layer, then you can say, okay, I've given you the human curated insights that you're able to summarize. Now I want you to take the human developed metrics and create insights off of them and summarize them. Then you say, okay, now I want you to take the raw data, tell me the metrics, tell me the insights, and then summarize them. Sort of like building it that way. That's at least right. My- hypothesis coming into this that and again it's like start simple build incrementally um, deliver value along the way try to create where areas where you can deploy it out get data back and constantly refine so just thinking about you know where this is all heading you you brought up crawl walk run and the great thing about talking to folks especially from a place like amazon is you guys are on the cutting edge so you have a really good idea of what run might look like i'm wondering what running might look like, or at least the path there from everything that you can tell, and no need to predict the future, just wondering what does running look like, say, for more traditional retailers in this space? Yeah. So I think first off, five, 10 years ago, I think the distinction between a traditional retailer and an e-commerce retailer is going to become less, less concrete, right? We've already, you know, the news has it that Amazon does have some sort of physical presence. We bought Whole Foods, there's Amazon Go. Uh, So the public messaging from Amazon is that the future is not all digital. And we've also seen traditional retailers develop an e-commerce space. I think that pretty much the market recognizes it's going to be some mix. Um, So I think within there, there's a couple of questions you have to think about. The first is we have to figure out how do you collect the data? And all of that is going to depend on what the physical experience will look like. Is it going to still look like something where you're perusing the aisles and there's, you know, kind of internet of things, computer vision, all of this tracking, figuring out where you're going, what you're looking at, where your attention is? Um, Or is the physical experience going to look a little bit more like You've put in your shopping list and you, let's say, some things you just pick up, but other things you want to go in. For example, like uh, packaged goods, I just pick it up because they're available to me at the front. But the fruit, I want to go in there and get it myself because I I want to pick it out myself and see what's fresh, right? Something, I don't know. Right. So I think the first one there. The second then is how do you engage the customer in the physical uh, store, right? Is it something like the person is on their phone talking and saying, okay, next I need this. Uh, okay, well, do you need cabbage? I mean, okay, well, what type of cabbage? Okay, it's in this aisle. So you kind of go in there and you're almost like conversing with the store via its generative AI in the store, but on your phone kind of in, in the in that way. Or is it something like, uh, you know, you're walking the aisles and a screen sees who you are and kind of knows, say, hey, if you're looking for this and this, it's on aisle three or something like that, right? Uh, did you know that there's a sale on this thing over here? Right. I think that's the second thing that has to be figured out. But all of that's going to eventually come towards there has to be kind of a bottoms up view and there has to be a conversational way for you, the bottoms up view to collect that kind of descriptive and predictive analytics and then a way for you to engage with the system in a conversational manner. And this kind of comes back to your whole point about the physical retail space experience versus the digital, which is that. There's also a level about what people feel comfortable with in the physical world. Mm -hmm. There's this kind of disparity where 
I think if people are engaging in the cyber world, they sort of know and are accept they're being that their data is being collected and it's used to generate recommendations, right? I mean, when you go on a site and you see, you know, like I'm recommending this product for you because you peruse this, people don't really think twice. They go, oh yeah, it's a computer and they're like, they, it gets that. But when you walk through a physical store and you see a screen pop up and say, we recommend this product because you viewed it, like how are people going to feel about that? It's kind of the whole thing about like, like there's, there's a question of how much the digital can permeate into the physical um, from a capability standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, the, the, the chat bot can say what a human would say. And there's how much of that people are going to feel comfortable with. Right. The level of like, for example, you can have a chat bot say the exact thing a salesperson would say, exactly. but it will be less effective than coming from a human, right? Right. Just it's on human psychology. So there's a kind of two elements, which is how much can the technology will permit, but then how much human psychology will permit. We know this will be involved, but this is where the fog of war is, and we and we just don't know. I think that's fine. And everybody can especially relate to the to the great and mysterious variable of human psychology, especially given the fact that, you know, you'll have this first wave. There's the uncanny valley, as you were kind of talking about, even in a conversational context. And then, I mean, and we see this with TikTok, social media, the dawn of the internet as it's uh, rolled out over the last 20 years, that there'll be a generational difference. You know, if you have uh, an entire generation of kids that is used to being maybe taught by a conversational AI in a high school context, then that's going to change their relationship to how they encounter conversational AI or avatars in a retail context, in a healthcare context and beyond. Uh, We may have to just accept that sort of fog of war as something that remains to be seen for the time being. And let me tell you, that's everywhere right now. That is every sector, retail and beyond. But Michael, really, really appreciate you coming on and telling us from your vantage point, from all the cutting edge stuff that you're doing uh, at Amazon, what we can't help but see into the future because I think that really helps illuminate the conversation. Thanks so much for being with us these past few episodes. We really appreciate it. Uh, It was a pleasure. Yeah. Have a great one. Yeah, absolutely. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to check out our first episode with Michael back in October. That episode is titled Building a Data-Driven Go-To-Market Engine in Retail with Michael Tamby of Amazon that you can find in the queue on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Very fascinating episode, but really lays out the basics in terms of what Michael's talking about in today's episode vis-a-vis his larger philosophy on how these technologies are all going to come together in the near future and foster a new discipline and a new market space with go-to market engines and retail being the focus. Really fascinating stuff. I find it very, very compelling. Really, really appreciate having Michael on the show both weeks. And on behalf of Daniel Fagella, our CEO and head of research, as well as the rest of the team here at Emerge Technology Research, thanks so much for joining us today. And we'll catch you next time on the AI and Business Podcast.